Kingdom Casts, a podcast that has in-depth discussions about things that really do not need to be discussed in depth. Warning, the Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. A couple of things have happened since we did the last podcast. Yeah, that's an understatement. I think I said to you in private, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, second week of April, so I was off by a week. Diamond Comics, on Monday, stopped receiving product from Marvel, the toy companies, DC, IDW, etc. Then later on Monday, released a press announcement from Steve Geppi himself to various media outlets and online sources that they would no longer ship comic books after this week. I tell you what, we're going to separate what is news from what is opinion. We're going to do the news first. That okay with you, Albert? Works for me. This week in the news. Diamond Comics had announced earlier this week on Monday that they will cease receiving new product. The product they already have will be sheltered in their warehouses. Shortly after that, they went ahead and announced the week of March 25th, 2020, would be the last week that they would ship comics to comic book shops. Reasons for this, of course, are the coronavirus. The majority of comic book shops across America are either under mandate to have shut down being a non-essential service, or they just simply are not having people come into it and not having much luck with the curbside services being offered where they bring your comics out to you and are having difficulty getting the mail services up and running. Diamond thought it would be for the best to suspend distribution of the comics for the foreseeable future. They don't say how long, but we have a statement from Steve Gippy, which is out there, and we'll go ahead and read that now. Coronavirus effects on distribution. As everyone knows, the world faces ever-increasing challenges related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Its effects on the comics and collectibles and tabletop gaming industries have been felt far and wide. We are hearing from thousands of retailers that they can no longer service their customers as they have in the past. Many of them forced to close by government action or resort to in-person or curbside service and delivery. Even those still open are seeing reduced foot traffic in most cases a situation that seems likely to worsen with time. Our publishing partners are also faced with numerous issues in their supply chain, working with creators, printers, and increasing uncertainty when it comes to the production and delivery of products for us to distribute. Our freight networks are feeling the strain and are already experiencing delays, while our distribution centers in New York, California, and Pennsylvania were all closed late last week. Our own home office in Maryland instituted a work-from-home policy, and experts say that we can expect further closures. Therefore, my only logical conclusion is to cease the distribution of new weekly product until there is greater clarity on the progress made towards stemming the spread of this disease. Effects on Diamond Comic Distributors 
product distributed by Diamond and slated for an on-sale date of April 1st or later will not be shipped to retailers until further notice. For the time being, however, we have been able to develop procedures with our teams at the distribution center in Olive Branch, Mississippi to safely continue fulfillment of direct ship reorders for the retailers who are able to receive new product and need it to service their customers. It's unlikely that orders will be filled on the same day they are placed and these plans are subject to change if at any point we no longer feel that we can safeguard our teams while fulfilling orders. Product distributed by Diamond UK and slated for an on-sale date of March 25th or later will not be shipped to retailers until further notice. Further updates with regard to reorders and other Diamond UK specific information will be communicated directly to their customers as information becomes available. He goes on to share... The effects on the Alliance Game Distributors, which is another part of Diamond. Yeah, same thing with their gaming situation. Yeah. And then he concludes with our shared path forward. With these changes in our distribution strategy, we will work we will work with our publishing partners to develop programs that will address product already in the pipeline and what will happen when we resume distribution. We know that during this time you will face many challenges and we will direct our energies toward addressing them rather than fighting on increasingly numerous fronts to get product out. For those retailers who remain open in various forms, I encourage you let loose your own creativity. For the time being, you will be able to replenish your perennials from Diamond and our Alliance, but you should also remember the stock you already have in your stores. If your doors remain open, it's likely you will have customers who will continue to seek diversion from events of the world. Special sales, promotions, and even eBay can help you bring in cash during this trying time. Product for which you've already paid may well hold some of your answers. There have been many solid suggestions offered about how to help our retailers, and we will bring many of them together in future communications. Besides the industry's most immediate needs, we have been and will continue looking toward the future when we see stores reopening, bringing staff back on board, and getting customers in the door. We are looking at issues like debt accrued due to the crisis, what reduced ordering means for your discount tiers, and the availability of credit to help stores through and after this difficult time. We don't have all those answers today, but we understand the many issues you are facing and look forward to addressing them as partners who all have an interest in the long-term help of the industry we love so much. As I mentioned in my last update, the industry has been one of the greatest joys of my life. From my days as a collector to a retailer to today, I and my leadership team have made these decisions knowing full well the effect that they have on all of you, as well as our publishing partners and our own team members around the world. At the end of the day, the safety and security of our teams and yours, along with the many customers we all serve, is paramount. I again thank you for your ongoing patience and support. Thank you, Steve Geppy, Chairman CEO, Geppy Family Enterprises. Albert, I understand that many of the comic book publishers, starting with Image and moving on to IDW and several other of the publishers, are offering full returns on most of their titles to the independent comic shop owners, which would help out a great deal. I have not read anything about the big two, about either Marvel or DC. The major complaint that seems to be coming across is the communication levels between Diamond, Marvel, DC, and the store owners. There's not a very good communication chain set up. And that is what's in the news. 
my guess as to why there may be problems with communication is that none of them are sure what to do. I mean, it's a stretch to ask a comic book company to be prepared for a global pandemic. The governments should have preparation for this sort of thing. And the larger businesses, Chase Manhattan, Synovus, the banks, should be prepared for something like this. Walmart should be prepared for something like this. It's not something that crosses the minds of Marvel and DC when it comes to their editorial offices and the comic books that they're publishing. As a matter of fact, I would be willing to bet that both at Marvel and DC, right now they're trying to figure out who has authority over making decisions that the situation is requiring of them. Who would this fall to? Does it fall to the publisher? Does it fall it does it fall to the print division? Now on top of everything else, the people that actually publish the comics, the companies that actually publish the comics in Canada have closed up shop this week. Yeah, I saw the article where DC <laughs> shut and killed their printer for the time being. What we should clarify is that the company that prints DC comics out of Canada has shut down. Now, we're hearing rumors that DC is actually kind of putting out feelers for another print company. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I, don't, I mean, it's it's DC. If, if as long as the printers can do the job, I don't think they'd have a hard time finding one, really. Well, that, that it depends. There well, There is actually a lot involved in switching printers. Well, there may be now, given the current situation... Yeah. But I would assume that there is printers out there that could do the job, that would want to do the job. It's just that, given everything going on right now, they can't get to it at the moment, obviously. The print company Marvel runs with, also out of Canada, is, as I understand it, is not currently shut down. There's also vibes coming in that Marvel and DC separate from, say, what Image, the direction Image, IDW, the other comic book companies are moving in. Marvel, DC, and Archie are pretty much telling their their pay-to-play talent, the ones that do not have extended contracts with them, to keep working, keep creating, we're going forward. And they've not announced, as we've stated before, Marvel and DC has not communicated anything to any of the shops about returnability of their books, has have Image and the other companies. Archie is going forward as well. Yeah, Valiant told everyone to stop. Yeah, Valiant froze everybody in place. Yeah. So this kind of makes it a little bit more of a confusing situation. You also have an issue with the shops in general. Uh, Most comic book shops are not just comic book shops. A lot of them are gaming stores. You have Sanctum down here in the Birmingham Avondale area. That's a tattoo parlor. And that side of their businesses already were taken care of several days ago as far as people not being able to have groups in there, no contact and stuff like that. So that chunk of their business was already taken away from them beyond their control or really anyone's control at this point. And then the comic book side, depending on how much of their business it is, now that's gone. Gear Gaming, another Birmingham mainstay, large place, large gaming store, top notch, all the way through. This immediately affected them, the gathering situation, the gathering rules and everything, because their store is dedicated to having groups of people in it gaming together. Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, Star Wars figuring games, Warcraft. I mean, Warhammer? Uh, Yeah, Warhammer. What is Worlds of Warcraft? Okay, no, that's an online game. Yeah, Warhammer. It's just a difficult time. It's unprecedented, and it's uh, unprecedented for a number of industries. But the thing about the comic book shops is that we are dependent on those weekly new deliveries. Those are a must-have. 
there's another aspect to this as well. Whenever a book was late, that book typically would suffer a drop-off and not recover those customers back to it. In other words, if, I know we've had several of them. Can you think of one offhand? I know Doomsday Clock is famous, but Doomsday Clock is the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, they didn't fact, have the, a large drop-off of it. On Doomsday Clock, the bigger the gap between issues, the more the other issues would end up selling. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's the reverse. Oh, House of M. House of M ran late. There was a considerable drop-off in the pull list customers. So any comic that runs late, there is that drop-off and that you, you know, the chance that you're not going to get that person back in. All of the comics not coming into the shop, there's going to be a drop-off. And the trick is, is whether or not they can get them back in. It is imperative that the story flow of the comics continue because without the stories, there is no comic industry, and that in turn affects the movies, the video games, the TV series, you name it. So with the knowledge that Marvel and DC have told members of their talent base that they're going to continue to be paid and that they're going to continue to create new content, which will more than likely have to be distributed online as a primary venue, I think we here at Kingdom Casts are going to continue to review and give the updates on the new comics for as long as that continues. Although I do think that it would be wise for Marvel and DC to perhaps come up with new content separate from the stories and the physical comics to place online. That way, they could potentially maximize both the online comic market and when the normal publishing operations resume and Diamond starts delivering again, the physical market could come back as well. I don't think Image would because it's Image and it's all creator-owned stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, maybe IDW would too, and I don't. Maybe I don't think Dark Horse really would, unless they just had some Hellboy universe stuff sitting in the corner somewhere in case for a rainy day. But you know, outside of Marvel and DC, how many of these companies just have stuff sitting around in a drawer somewhere, not wanting to be published right then and there? That's a very true statement. What level of resources do you have to yeah. put this stuff out? But they could get their creators to create new stuff. Uh, it's it's a different situation for Image than it is Marvel and DC. You can easily, with enough lead time, take the Marvel superheroes and toss them into a completely separate story and then worry about where it fits into the timeline later. You could Secret Wars them. And what I mean by that is the first Secret Wars, all the superheroes went to Central Park in their own books and zap, they were gone. And then the next issue, zap, they were back but we had to read this 12 issues of Secret Wars to find out what happened to them while they were gone. Yeah, but who's got time to do all that? If Marvel and DC are having their creators continue working and creating new material, they've got time to do all yeah, that. Yeah, but they're creating material they're already working on. We're not talking about a new 52 relaunch. We're talking about something to... And what I'm proposing is just something, something I'm proposing. I haven't heard it stated anywhere else. I'm just trying to figure out a way that's uh, something that would be best that you could continue story flow, a story flow, and at the same time, not harm, not cause as much harm to the physical comic book market and the local comic book shops as well. But in the end analysis, Marvel and DC are going to do whatever Marvel and DC are going to do to continue the story flow and the income from their comic book division. So we're just going to have to wait and see what happens there. It's going to be a difficult time. Several of you have written in. I think we're answering most all the questions because most all the questions 
were the same. I did receive a few texts from a few people uh, about different things. And I, I'm just saying this, keep your head up. Yes, it's going to affect things in comic books and in fandom, but it's going to affect things worldwide. There are people passing away from this. It's a very serious situation, and it's unprecedented, and it's going to change a lot especially in the entertainment industry. Otherwise, I would hope that there are major changes coming in healthcare and uh, distribution of healthcare. But we'll get through this. There'll be a new normal, and we'll see what comes back. I am, I'm optimistic about the comic book shops being able to recover and come back after this. Things may have to be done in a little bit of a different way for a while, or if it works out better, for thereafter. But I'm very optimistic in it. If your local comic book shop has announced that they're shuttering for good or something along those lines, it just be patient. Let's get through this and let's see what develops. I'm going to stick up for Diamond on this one little thing. A lot of people mentioned when they first announced the closings about Diamond being a monopoly and everything. As we've covered before, it really, Diamond being a monopoly wasn't really something they actively did. They just ended up that way. In reality, this is probably one of the few times where there being just one distributor for comics. It's going to probably make this a little bit easier down the line simply because it's Marvel and DC and all them, but there's one distributor that's got to turn everything back on and that's it. Yeah. If if you had to wait for for multiple distributors to all try to get on the same page or do things, it would make this go a lot longer and difficult. This is a rare occurrence where Diamond being a monopoly, it will will probably help out better in the long run. Diamond didn't really have a choice on this. There's just nothing they can really do about it. No, they're they're having to do like every other company right now. Even if they did send books out, I mean, how many stores are, are still open through all this? I mean, right. at, at one point, you're just going to be like, well, we've, we've got half our stores closed, so we got to hold on to half this stuff, and half this stuff has to go out, and how do we take care of billing and doing all this stuff? So just saying, until everything gets better, we're just going to put things on hold, because that's the only real way to do it. That's right. Diamond didn't set out to become a monopoly. Circumstances made Diamond a monopoly. Other than their communication problems, Marvels, DCs, and Diamonds with the individual retailers. I think they're handling it as well as they possibly can. And again, I think those communication problems are straight up them not knowing what the next step to take is and everybody trying to figure out where they are and get on get on a similar page at least. Albert, there were some comics come out this week. And there are a few. Yeah, some good ones too. I, I enjoyed a lot of what I read. So would you like to discuss those? We can. Okay. Boom Studios. Once in Future, number seven. Writer Karen Gillen and Dan Mora. It went on a two-month hiatus after the end of the first story arc, but it's back. The King Arthur story. Yep. I was so thrilled to death, and I was surprised to see it. I do. I love this book, and each issue makes it better and better, and the twist in this one just comes off as great. Not only do you have Arthur to contend with, but now you've got the wild card of Beowulf thrown into the situation. Are they just going to keep throwing stuff in this book? No, I don't think it's a matter. When I say throw in, it's his intent. Yeah. I don't doubt for a second that this is what was intended. It's all the lore of the Britons. He's utilizing it to its fullest. Kieran Gillen is. 
and I very much enjoyed this. The art is spectacular in it. Yeah, the art is very, very good. Yeah, Dan and Moore. I, and I still like the story, art. and I and I don't really mind the Beowulf thing. I just thought it was sort of odd there to an extent. You know, I saw that, and I thought, oh, we're going to continue with this. And I thought, no, this kind of makes sense. If you got one, you can have the other. I love the use of the Siege Perilous as well. Yeah. This is a great book. If you're not reading it, you should be picking up. First trade paperback is out collecting the first story arc. It's really, it's really good read. It's really worth your money. I gave the writing a four, the art a five, and the dynamic a five. My score was 4.7 on this one. Uh, I give the art a four and the writing a dynamic a five. So the same score, 4.7. On now to IDW Comics. All things being equal, I don't think that we would have necessarily picked this, but I saw this and I thought, well, I've, I've got to read this. That, and they just did the Ghostbusters Transformers. That was real good. So, well, that was we'll really try the good. next one. Yeah, that was that was real good. Ghostbusters Transformers were real good, but you talk about apples and oranges, man. This is not good. This is a different, a completely different animal. Transformers Terminator Number One, writer David Marriott and John Barber and Tom Waltz, with art by Alex Milne. I thought it was a crossover car wreck, and I couldn't look away from it. Yeah, I didn't. Like, it's on paper, it's like, hey, Terminator versus Transformers, that'd be cool. Then the execution is a million times wrong. We're just the first issue into it. Milne can draw robots. Yeah, I mean, but he draws humans real bad. They're not great, but they're okay. They're passable. Yeah, I thought it worked fine, given the situation. It's not bad. It tries and fails to have humor in it. And that's just simply not the strong suit in this. I'm interested in this book the same way I'd be interested in finding out what would happen if you crossbred a sloth and a gorilla. What what are you going to get out of this? What is the end game? And after this, do we have Transformers versus My Little Pony? Please let us have Transformers. Transformers. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get that. we got to have that. Basically, what would you say the setup is, is that Skynet, the humans enacted Skynet in order to deal with the Cybertronians. Or something like that. Yeah, and then they send the Terminator back in time to 1984 to try to kill the robots before the mountain erupts and, and by, wakes, and, yeah, wakes yeah. them up. And by chance he runs into Sarah Connor. Yeah, in Los Angeles. Yeah. I want to find out where it's going to end up. I gave it threes across the board. It wasn't bad, bad, but it definitely wasn't good. It's just kind of right there in the middle. I think the last page, more than anything else, sold me with Megatron and Starscream and the Decepticons standing over what's left of Optimus Prime. I don't know. I gave the writing an art of two and dynamic of one. I just, I thought it was just bad. I didn't like it at all. It got a three from me simply because I'm curious to see where it goes out of this. Yeah. I've got the sense that it's going to get worse story-wise. But right now, I'm just like, okay, all right, I'll give you this one. Let's see where we go from there. Probably not worth your money. Probably better things to buy unless you're just like me and you're just morbidly curious about how this is going to go. Yeah. DC Comics this week. Man, I don't know what to say. At first... I wasn't going to have us throw Action and Legion of Superheroes in here because we've reviewed both of them so much. We were just going to say the same thing like, okay, that still stands, but let's go ahead and talk about some other books. And then when I realized that this will be the last week comic book shipping, I thought, but we won't get to talk smack about Bendis. Yeah. 
Having said all that, Action Comics number 1012 came out this week. Pro- it is probably DC's worst book. Writer Brian Michael Bendis and art John Romita Jr. I've been saying that this isn't John Romita Jr.'s art, but I've come to the conclusion that it is, so I can only make the assumption that he hates this book because given his art on Superman Year One with Frank Miller was just beyond great, and this just looks like somebody trying to get done so he can go watch the latest coronavirus updates on the news or something. Well, Superman Year One, he ain't got no deadline. You know, he just take his time, and Eker can take their time. Romita's been under the gun before, especially with the Spider-Man books, and it, they never came out looking like this. Well, that was 20 years ago, Stan. I, well, I know, but I'm talking also I mean, recently. 20 years he's... ago, he was 20 years younger. Yeah, that's typically how time works. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm just saying. I know he's been under the gun before, and this is just not coming up good. And Grodd, Grodd looks more like, Gorilla Grodd looks more like X-Men's Beast than a gorilla. Yeah. I've seen him draw monkeys, too, and he draws pretty good monkeys. Well, this I don't know the, what the hell's going on with Grodd there. Vermina Jr.'s the, the, not even the biggest, even close to the biggest problem with this book. One, it's bad. The dialogue's terrible. And Mendes can't even line his own two Superman books continuity-wise. No, like this, he can't. This arc, this issue ends before he even tells anyone his identity in Superman. Well, yeah, it ends. It's also so far behind what happened in Justice League and then what happened in Hell Arisen book. And you don't know where where you are in any of this, and you just wish it would all go away. Did you know that Leviathan's name is mentioned almost once a page in here? And that's a great deal more than any other name, including Superman? No, I didn't even realize that. Well, it's gotten to where it stands out like a sore thumb to me every time I see the name Leviathan. Well, he always did that. Remember Avengers? How many issues of his Avengers run was just about Jessica Jones? Like half of them? Well, I enjoyed the Avengers, and she actually interacted, but when Leviathan's not on the page, they're talking about Leviathan. It's like that, you remember the Simpsons episode where Itchy and Scratchy added the dog, and Homer uh, was voice, yeah, Poochie. Homer was voicing Poochie, then Homer was making suggestions to the story writers saying, I also feel like when Poochie is not around, the dialogue between the other characters should be things like, Where's Poochie? And I miss Poochie. And I got the exact same feeling from, where is Leviathan? I miss Leviathan. When's Leviathan going to go back to his home planet? <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, when might, it'll just be some, the last page will be some pieced together Rob Liefeld art of Leviathan. <laughs> like, I have my to go back to my home me. planet. Turns out Leviathan was from. But then they put that sheet of paper up at the end that said, said Poochie's ship exploded on its way back. Turns <laughs> out Leviathan was from Stanagar the whole time. Yeah. My people need me. <laughs> You've got a book out there called Leviathan, Bendis. You got what you wanted against all reason. <laughs> Stop screwing up action comics with him. Even if comics continued to come out after this week, we wouldn't be talking about action anymore. I gave the score a one. I well, would just talk about how bad it is. Yeah, it just really is not worth your money. So you can forego action unless you just really need that sequence of books in there. I gave it straight ones. Anything else to say about it? Go back. <laughs> Legion of Superheroes number five. 
also by Brian Michael Bendis. Art by Ryan Sook and Scott Godlewski. Well, we are now into issue number five of them trying to get Superboy to watch an orientation video. No, I don't remember the plot of this actual issue, though. Uh, they won't. They want to stand around and they want to talk about Aquaman's trident while trying to convince Superboy that he needs to watch an orientation video, never mind that there's supposedly one of DC Comics' most powerful psychics in Saturn Girl standing right next to him that could just simply beam it all into his head. That's too easy. Oh, and did you see that little swipe he took at Doomsday Clock? What was it? One of the characters were referring to things that had happened, told Superboy that he's supposed to be the one true Superman, which is hype for 5G. At this point, 5G is not happening the way they thought it was supposed to be happening when Bendis was writing this book. They said something, one of the characters said something about those poor Watchmen. The Watchmen aren't calling themselves Watchmen, they're the Minutemen. Yeah. There's several problems with this. I almost got the idea that Bendis was trying to respond to Grant Morrison, and he failed miserably in this. Guy, could you imagine, like... Oh, that would be worse than Peter David and uh, Todd McFarlane debating. I mean, I half expect Jeff Johns to call up Grant and tell him to read this comic and do something about it. Yeah. Because they're picking on me, Grant. He goes, I'll take care of this. Grant has reasoned, rational responses to these things. Bendis is so all all over the place in this, I'm not even sure what he's trying to do in it. Is he trying to further the story? I don't know what the plot of the book is. Well, There's no, like, big major plot. It's all just subplots that don't go anywhere. Eventually, they're going to get Aquaman's trident and magically turn the Earth back into an orb instead of floating cities connected at the core because of all the water that the trident will... That's where they're going with it. That's the end game to this. The rest of it is just so Bendis can write what he thinks is clever dialogue, and it probably would be clever if we had the right context for it. Would it? Yeah, there's some things that almost make me want to smile if the story was reflecting what they were saying. I mean, his other books aren't clever. Why would this one be any different? I used to be a Bendis fan. I used to be his biggest fan, but... Yeah, used to. Yeah, I just don't know what the hell's going on here since he got to DC. Far too many characters with a complete lack of focus. I gave the writing a one. The art is a five. The art's yeah, that that is some top-notch art. I can't I can't complain about that. No, I mean say what you will. The the art by itself almost makes it worth the price of the book. I gave the writing a one, the art a five, the dynamic a one. My score on Legion of Superheroes number five is a two point three. I gave the art a five and writing a dynamic a one. You did the same thing I did, 2.3. It really feels like the book is subplots, whatever big plot where, you know, you say it's the Aquaman stuff, they just gloss over that constantly. There's no big bad or nothing. It's like, oh, no, the president's mad at us, and then they just go about and do their own thing anyway. And it's utterly and completely ridiculous. And those tags on their shoulders are useless. They're not even writing their names in them anymore. So you compare this to New Mutants, and dear Lord. It's just, um, it really it really shows the difference between focus and non-focus yeah. in the storylines. Let's step out of the DC universe, but still stay within DC Comics. Go over to DC's Black Label and talk about Last God, number six. Writer Philip Kennedy Johnson and art by Ricardo Federici. Did you ever get around to reading that last issue? Yes, yes. I read it as soon as we finished the podcast. I read it when we were talking about it. Let me get this straight. 
right now, in Last God 5 and 6, it's Conan, Beastmaster, and Snow White versus Cthulhu and all of the old gods, thanks to an introduction from Emperor Palpatine. But then, right. at the, but then at the end of number 6, Thor shows up to negotiate on behalf of Tinkerbell. Yeah, why did Thor show up? <laughs> well, at the end of the book, they put all that extra stuff. Yeah. And they explain his character in that, which makes sense. But like in the book, it's just, here's Thor. This is a comic book that really does need to be a novel. Now, I'm joking about all that. But that is essentially a humorous, yeah. sarcastic rundown of what's going on. This is a great book. All jokes aside, this should be a novel. This is what Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings would be like without all of the disappointment. It's worth the black label price for sword and fantasy fans. And even if you're not normally down with this genre, and I'm not, it still rocks. This is a really interesting story, but you do have to read the backup stuff as well. It was clear to me that the guy that we're calling Thor, he's not Thor. He just happens to have a hammer. Yeah, yeah. he's showing up to negotiate on behalf of the Fae, the fairy that they need to get in touch with to set things right. This is really all over the place and is utilizing several different sword and sorcery and fantasy aspects, and it's doing it real well. And the artwork is just outstanding. He really does a fantastic job. As you read the book and the backups, you can tell that he really thought out his story of what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. And none of it's really thrown together. It's all completely planned out. But I really enjoy it. This is a great book. It really is. And I think it would behoove him to try to turn it into a novel. Yeah. I really do, because I could see a major fan base developing around this. What was your scores on it? I give it straight fives. I gave the writing a five, the art a five, and the dynamic a four. I gave it a 4.7. Both of us do recommend it, and it's worth the black label price. Finally on our DC list, and we're going to go out with a bang with DC, Batman, Curse of the White Knight, number eight. Writer and art by Sean Murphy. It's just brilliant. I think it's the best Bat book in the last 10 years. Oh, yeah, easily. It's a great book. Even the things that are clearly out of continuity in this reality that he sets it in, they could only be improvements in the normal Batman storyline. This is a Batman that you want to see. This has, and you're going to get another one after this. Not under this title. It'll be called Something White Knight down the line. The way he ends it is you know you're coming back to the story. You yeah, know that it's not over. The title for the next one hits, they used the word beyond in it. At the end of this, Jason Todd shows up. So Yes, yeah, he does. I love the use of the 1989 Batmobile in it. He didn't go out of his way to design anything new, although he did put a good twist on it at the end. Yeah, he added some cool stuff to it, but at the end of the day, that Batmobile is, you know, it's that Batmobile, including the little armor that the movie had of it. Yeah, the armor, the jet engine, all of it. It's a wonderful book. You're a Batman fan. I don't know how you're not reading this. Yeah. Pick up this. If you can't get all eight issues, then wait until the hardcover comes out. It's going to be worth it in hardcover. That's one I want sitting on my shelf next to the original Batman White Knight. It's, Sean Murphy's outstanding. We've complained on here about all these Harley Quinn books and how she's yeah. in everything. Oh, she's you perfect know, in this. She's in this, and she's great in it. The character's yeah. great. You don't feel like it's too much or anything. They do, they do a fantastic job with it. Yeah, and it's still Harley Quinn. Yep. You still clearly identify this character. They give her substance. They give her actually something to do in it, and they treat her like an actual existing individual. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, both of us highly recommend it. I gave it straight fives. 
Yeah, I give it straight fives. If anyone likes Sean Murphy's art, he did a book with Brett Morrison called Joe the Barbarian. Oh, yeah. And I recommend that. Oh, Joe the Barbarian was great. Yeah. I forgot about that. It's been so long. But Joe the Barbarian's an outstanding book as well. And it's out in trade paperback. I give the whole series, Batman, Curse of the White Knight, I give it fives across the board. Yeah, easily. Both the books were fives across the board. Best Batman comic to come out in the last ten years. Yep. Definitely do yourself a favor, pick it up. And now we swing into the House of Ideas, Marvel Comics. Marvel Snapshots came out, and at the end of the Submariner issue of Marvel Snapshots, which we both loved, and I think we both gave fives across the board, they said, next up, Human Torch. Now, what did you think you were going to get out of well, this when issue? Well, you, when you read Namor and get in, in say, the follow-ups Human Torch without reading the previews or anything, you think it's the Golden Age Human Torch. That's exactly what I did. I was thinking it's the Golden Age Human Torch because next is Captain America. That yeah. would have made sense. But instead, what we get is Marvel Snapshot's Fantastic Four which focuses on Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. This is written by Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer, art by Benjamin Dewey. I kind of felt lied to because I was truly expecting the original Human Torch. Instead, what we get is a fluff piece, another fluff piece, on the Fantastic Four, focusing on Johnny Storm. The entire thing is just about how good and great Johnny and the Fantastic Four are, and honestly, I'm sick and tired of it all. The only decent member of the Fantastic Four is Ben Grimm. He's largely overlooked in this entire book. I think you see him in the background on things, not him himself, but pictures of him and stuff, but he's hardly barely mentioned at all. This is all about, oh, Johnny, Johnny has normal friends from high school, and Sue is so great, and Reed is so smart. And the reality of it is, is Johnny is a pompous ass with an ego that makes Magneto look up. And if Reed was so smart, then he'd know that Little Miss Perfect Sue was hitting the old sushi bar every time Reed's head was up the butt of one of his science experiments. And we all know what I mean when I say Sue's hitting the sushi bar. It was a fluff piece on the Fantastic Four. The first issue, the Namor issue, is well worth buying. It was great. It was outstanding. I'm looking forward to the Captain America issue. But all this entire book does is spend every page kissing the Fantastic Four's butt. I gave the writing a two, the art a three, the dynamic a one. My score on this book was a two. You think they told him Evan Dorkin to write a Human Torch story, and then he turned one in for Johnny rather than <laughs> Hammond? That may be exactly. Maybe what that's happened. what happened. And they're like, and he's like, I'm not rewriting it. Yeah, I've already cashed the check, guys. This ain't getting yeah. redone. I don't know anything about the original Human I, Torch. I mean, you're pretty... I didn't take it that bad. I mean, it's okay, but it's just not... It's oh, just, it doesn't do anything for Johnny the same... It doesn't, you know, really give you a good piece on Johnny the same way... Namor. Well, Namor did one, did with Namor. It's just, oh, these guys are so... Johnny Storm's a jerk. Yeah. And I mean everything I say about Reed Richards. Evan's like, y'all didn't tell me I was doing Jim Hammond, so here you go. Here's Johnny Storm's class reunion. I made reference to <laughs> the books from 20 years ago rather than books from 80 years ago. Sue me. That's, that's got to be. I think you're on to something there. I think that they were told to write a story about the Human Torch as they <sighs> came back with Johnny Storm. I can see how that mistake is made. It seems out of place in between this, uh, this great Submariner book we got in issue number one and Captain America coming up next issue. What was your score on this? What was your score? Writing two, art three, dynamic one. My overall score was two. I just gave it threes. 
threes. It's not bad. I just didn't see the point of it. Well, yeah, but you're also a Reed Richards supporter, too. No, I'm like Doom. I respect Reed to, to an extent. I acknowledge I, his intelligence. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Did you read X-Men Fantastic Four this week? Well, yes, I did. We'll get okay. to that in the X-Books. <laughs> I think you can pass on this unless you just have to have the whole set of it. Yeah. What do you think? Is it worth yeah, money? Yeah, it's not really anything special. But do pick up the Namor one. The Namor one was real good. And we're not just saying that because Sandra is threatening to blackmail us. If she knows anything on me, you told her. <laughs> and if you told her, you're in trouble. Road to Empire, Cree Scroll War, writer Robbie Thompson, art by Maria de Lulis and Javier Rodriguez and Alvera Lopez. I'm not at all excited about the crossover event Empire from Marvel. Not at all excited. This is a standalone book. I didn't want to read it, but I went ahead and read it because, well, that's what we do on this program. I thought it was pretty good. I thought the standalone well, was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it did its job and then failed at its job. Mm -hmm. This is a, a really well-done recap with some really great art in it from the scroll crew relationship. So it did its job to get you caught up. At the same time, at least for me, it, it doesn't do its job because it doesn't make me want to give a crap about the Kree Scrolls War anyway. If you just wanted a brief rundown on the Kree Scroll relationship, how it started, where we are with it, this is a perfect book. This book is flawless in that, and it does not really have anything to do with what's coming down the road here with Empire until the last couple of pages, yeah. where they have to reference it, set it up, remind you what's going on. But the rest of it was really quite enjoyable. I've no doubt that the event book Empire itself will not be nearly as good as this one shot was. Prove me wrong, Marvel. No, but, and also, like, if you were a fan of that recent book they put out, The History of the Marvel Universe... Exactly. It's really just a bunch of, bunch of pretty splash pages and art pages with just a little bit of recap on them. All the flashbacks are, are literally that. This exact same thing. So, yeah, except it's very in-depth on the Kree Scroll relationship. Yeah. Caught a couple of things in there that I had forgotten or didn't know and thought, oh yeah, or oh wow. I recommend this book. I'm not excited about Empire. This book no. doesn't make me excited about Empire, but this is a pretty good book on its own. I gave the writing a four, the art a four, and the dynamic a four. Fours across the board on this one. I gave the writing a dynamic a four. I actually gave the art a five. I thought the art was fantastic. The art really was. Yeah, there's a couple of people doing the art on it. The art really was. I just, I just wanted straight fours on it because it's got the name Empire on it. Yeah. So that kind of turned me off of the whole thing. Also, you mentioned the History of the Marvel Universe by Mark Wade, written by Mark Wade, and I forget the artist's name, and that this was a very not, good book. Is it not the same artist that does these these uh, flashback scenes in this book? Oh, yes, it is. Javier Rodriguez. Yeah, we both recommend that. That's now out in trade paperback, and I got a note from Alex Fitzpatrick saying, you need to recommend the trade paperback. It's been out for a week. Yeah, so we both recommend the History of the Marvel Universe trade paperback. Pick that up. It's very interesting reading. And now on to the X-Books. Let's go ahead and start with X-Men Fantastic Four number three since we've discussed since Johnny. we've yeah, since we've discussed Johnny in the Marvel Snapshot book. X-Men Fantastic Four number three, written by Chip Zadarsky, art by the Dodsons, Rachel and Terry. Boy, Doom puts Xavier in his place with one sentence. Man, he just craps on everybody, don't he? He's got everyone's number, he's got it all figured out, and he, Lord. 
And it's not even that he's crapping on them. He just, he, it, Doom wasn't saying anything to Xavier. Xavier is the one that was standing there and said, Victor. And Doom said, Charles. <laughs> and yeah. then Xavier stated his piece. Man, Doom just laid it out there. I don't think being born with knives coming out of your hand makes you any more superior to somebody that was not born with any gifts, but worked for his, all of his yeah. faculty accolades yeah doom just nailed it and the uh, look on xavier's face zadarsky tells a wonderful story zadarsky understands that reed richards is an ineffective cuckold that pales in comparison to the genius that is doom i guess <laughs> i love the tension in this book he writes wolverine like an idiot he doesn't write wolverine like an idiot but necessarily that's... he's just wolverine's just mixed into all this and getting nailed left and right it's great how the pretension of xavier and magneto is laid bare not just by doom but by sue richards as well yeah i, I very much enjoy this i actually saw a bad review on this book and i don't know where they're coming from this is a classic this is engaging this pulls from the best attributes of both teams, and it's fun to read. Chip Zadarsky just nails this. I guess they're X-Men fans. <laughs> it doesn't belittle the X-Men. It puts them in their place. Yeah, but it certainly does. Doom, Doom certainly has a pretty good grasp on the situation, as it is. I gave the writing five, the art a four. I love the Dodsons, but there was a couple of things that still seemed rushed or a little off. And the dynamic of five, my score is 4.7. If you like the X-Men, if you really like the Fantastic Four, this is the best written Fantastic Four and Doom out there currently. I'll give, I'll give the writing, yeah, I'll give writing five and art dynamic four. I gave it a 4.7. You gave it a 4.3. So we both recommend X-Men Fantastic Four yeah. numbers one, two, and three. Chip Zardarsky is just, he knows his characters. Let's discuss Giant Size X-Men Nightcrawler. This is issue number two of the Giant Size X-Men series. Writer Jonathan Hickman with art by Alan Davis. I just thought it was cute and fun. It feathers a couple of mysterious plot points that we've had roaming around the X-Men titles. But there's no earth-shattering revelations in it. Was it necessary? Not really. Was it fun? Pretty much. There's more that it could have been, but it was still enjoyable. What do you think? Oh, Davis does a good job. Oh, Alan Davis's art is nice. A lot of his, when the characters are just standing around, are sort of lacking a little bit. Beyond that, the art's real good. It's a, a real solid Nightcrawler story, with, to an extent, a Nightcrawler story. I mean, they do a real good job with this book. I can't really complain about it. Well, one of the things that it asks in this book, and it's getting you to ask, is can they bring back Thunderbird? The original Thunderbird? I don't know. Can they? Did he die, or did, or did he die too far back? Well, that's my question. And do we have a date, or, or do we have a time period that we know Sinister, Magneto, and Xavier started the recording and the psychic yeah. recordings and the biological recordings? It's entirely possible that Sinister did have Thunderbird's DNA. I'm trying to think. That the, I can't think of the mutant that's been dead the longest that they brought back. Pyro was not dead all that long, but he was dead for a while. Yeah. Because I mean, most of the characters that they're killing and brought back, they, if they, they have the ability to kill, if they have the ability to bring back Destiny, that's several years ago, but it's still not as far back as Thunderbird. Yeah. I don't I, know. I'm they, not they sure. Could. I, it's entirely possible. It wouldn't. They wouldn't get much argument from me if they could, but would they? The issue is with the character like Thunderbird. Yeah. As far as the story of it goes, you sort of have. You probably have to get approval. Yeah. 
Warpath his brother? Yeah, Warpath is his brother. Yeah, I thought Warpath or whoever, you know, someone like that would have to okay it. And if someone's um, okay. dead, and if someone's dead long enough, it may just be let let the dead have peace and just move on from it. Also, and the reality of it is, is Thunderbird was an editorial ordered death. Yeah, you've got to kill either Wolverine or Thunderbird. They're too similar. And Claremont's initial reaction was to kill Wolverine, but Byrne was coming on the book and it was already working on art and ideas for it, told him, no, 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 don't kill the only Canadian. So I guess they killed the only Native Because they didn't have it bad enough, huh? <laughs> By all means, keep the Canadian. Okay, I gave the writing on Giant Size X-Men Nightcrawler a 4, the art a 4, the Dynamic a 2, score 3.7 for me. I don't know, I gave the Dynamic a 3, but yeah, the writing and the art I gave a 4. I gave the score a 3.3, and you gave the score a 3.7. On Giant Size X-Men Nightcrawler, I still think it's worth your money. It's fun. It offers a couple of hints here and there of things that are about to come up, but it, it's not like the rest of the X titles where you have something that makes you gasp every issue. Yeah, this is mostly just a little standalone story where they sort of let other characters in on the Warlock situation. Yeah, just one character. Yeah. Ileana. I love Ileana. <laughs> I know. Wolverine number two, writer Benjamin Percy, art by Adam Kubert. I'm enjoying it, except I really do not like the mind control aspect of it. Yes, yeah, uh, so, I mean, we've done that before with Wolverine. I'm not big on characters, on superheroes being subjected to mind control for a variety of reasons. I just feel that it was overdone. And then there's that joke in Justice League Avengers where the Avengers and Justice League face off against each other for the first time. And Hawkeye keeps saying, there's something familiar about them. And then he says, I know, they're a second-rate Squadron Supreme. And then he turns to the Scarlet Witch and he says, nine gets you ten that they're mind-controlled. <laughs> <laughs> and, and ever since then, I just feel like it's too hackneyed. I enjoy the tension of the Purple Man because there's something really disgusting and, yeah. and eerie about that that makes you feel like ooh, god no but i don't like this i don't like that wolverine went under mind control and he killed some of the other x-men i do like the overall story i am enjoying it and i don't think what you see in this issue is exactly what's going down because they are aware of the existence of this individual that can have this effect on people now along those lines i feel and hope that there's a twist to this plot point and it does feel more like Wolverine than anything since Remender's X-Force. I still think it's worth the money. I have faith in where Benjamin Percy is going with it. Adam Kubert's art is off the charts. And Benjamin Percy's a good writer. So I think there's going to be more to this. And under those circumstances, I gave the writing a four, the art a five, and the dynamic a three. So my overall score for it was four. I gave it like uh, straight threes. Straight threes. That's reasonable. Yeah. I am familiar with Benjamin Percy enough. I see a couple of earmarks here and there, and I'll be I'll be disappointed if I'm wrong in this, but I think there's going to be a twist to the plot point. In it. Yeah. So, did you see that interview with Remender? No, I did not. So Remender, you know, he did a, the Avengers stuff for a little bit, and he was supposed to take over X-Men after Bendis left. Oh, I like read was, a little bit of that. And he, he said they were forcing the Inhumans on him, and he didn't want to do it, so he just called it quits on that. Nobody wants to do the Inhumans. No, why wouldn't they? No, I 
I mean, the J. Lee book had some good ideas and was a good story, but the Inhumans are not something that needs an ongoing or anything along those lines. I still think that Lockjaw should just go and be Ben Grimm's dog yeah. forever. You know, we don't ever have to see the other Inhumans again, but I think that Lockjaw should just, it, it just seems like he should belong with Ben Grimm. And Ben Grimm's last book years ago, those were some of the best thing stories ever. And it, he had Lockjaw. Lockjaw was his buddy. I, I like that. I'm down for Wolverine and shit. I'm down for the thing having Lockjaw as a pet. Now we got a new number one X book out this week. Hellions, number one, by Zeb Wells and art by Steven Segovia. This is one that I was not looking forward to. Yeah, but the cast in it wasn't too much, but it was good. I just Well, that's it. I, I hate, I absolutely loathe Nanny and Orphan Maker. And I have, <laughs> I have since the first time they showed up around Uncanny X-Men, whatever, 267 or whatever it was. And I never really cared for Mr. Sinister until Hickman got his claws into him during Secret Wars and in these new X books. And now I positively love him. And I think that Mr. Sinister works best now if you hear John Cleese's voice while reading his line from Monty Python, John Cleese. I know who it is. Yeah. I know. I'm saying that for somebody who may not. That line he gives when he's looking at Exodus sitting next to him and asks him about his shoulders. Then he makes that statement, Mr. Sinister's shoulder ornamentation <laughs> will not be outdone. <laughs> and, and Mystique, Mystique puts her head in her hands and just goes, oh God, kill me. <laughs> this is a good book. It is a good book. Uh, we don't know quite what's going on with Havoc. I am so glad they're utilizing Psylocke in a different book, in this book. And, yeah, she's far better in this book than she was in that other mess that they've got going. Yeah, 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 that uh, Angels or something stupid like that? Oh, Fallen Angels. Fallen, Fallen Angels, Angels, yeah. Yeah, Fallen Angels. And one issue, we went from something that I had very little hope for to this could be one of my favorite X books. Yeah. Definitely worth your money. And along the lines of Purple Man earlier, Empath, the Hellion, one of uh, Emma Frost's original Hellions, who manipulates emotions, he's also that same sort of eerie, mind-rapey vibe, and always has been. Yeah, he's a real edgy character, and I mean that legitimately. They've got a good system here. They basically take individuals that they have on trial for various crimes, and for some reason, Havoc kind of snapped out in the field and almost killed some humans, definitely maimed them severely, causing loss yeah. of limbs and deformity. And they have him, and they have Wild Child, and they have Arclighter from the Marauders, and Nanny and Orphan Maker, and they're all on trial. They're trying to decide what to do with them. They can't quite sentence them to the pit, but what do we do with them? And Sinister speaks up and says, give them to me. Let me make them into a team. team and they go on these very violent situations where they can exercise some of their violent tendencies out. It's pretty much most of, most of the characters are from Mutant Massacre, isn't it? Well, Havoc's not. Orphan Maker and Nanny are not. But Arclighter is. Wild Child is not. Arclighter's the only one in there that's actually directly involved in the Mutant Massacre. Sinister was revealed to be behind the Mutant Massacre. Who was that one dude with the gun? That's Arclighter. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Never mind, never yeah. mind. 
Yeah, he's he's directly involved. Yeah, he was. Wait, one of did they not show Harpoon in this book? They did, but he's not in the team. He's the remainder of the Marauders that refused to come to Krakoa, and we That's see right. them. In, That's right. Yeah, we see them in a page at the end that show that the Hellions are about to walk into something that they have no idea what they're walking into. I know I'm being generous with the fives this week, but I gave this book straight fives. This is well worth your money. Fits perfectly within the pantheon. The characterizations are dead on. Anytime we can get insight into the secret council and how it functions and the mutant laws, I actually enjoy that. So I gave it fives across the board. How about you? Yeah, they showed showed like Scout Hunter. Oh, I kept saying Art Light. Prism. And Malice was shown, wasn't she? Yeah, but she's not. They're not Hellions. They're at the yeah. end of the book. They're yeah. they're the they're the plot twist. Yeah, I may be calling I may be calling Scalp Hunter Arclighter. I'm pretty sure that's Scalp Scalp Hunter. I think. Yeah, it's Scalp Hunter that is a Hellion, and Arclighter is one of the other Marauders at the end of the book. I'm sorry, it's been 35 years since I since the Mutant Massacre, and I've I'm I haven't seen a lot of these guys. <laughs> I gave it straight fours. Straight fours and straight fives. We both recommend it then. This is worth your money. This is, I'm enjoying this. And as much as I dislike Excalibur and Fallen Angels, I'm certainly enjoying the rest of the X books. The book of the week that we're going to end on is Diamond Comics. Stop shipments for the next few weeks. Immortal Hulk number 750, or actually number 33, but it's being held as issue number 750 of the Hulk books. Writer Al Ewing and artist Joe Bennett and Nick Patara. I thought it was amazing. This book delivers, on every page, this book delivers. And then some. How long did it take you to get through the interior of Hulk's mind trying to find all the Easter eggs? It took a while. After I read it, I went back and checked all the pages. I did as well. The artists' names that are hidden everywhere, along Mm -hmm. with their representation of the Hulk. I did notice this. McFarlane was missing. Do you think that was something that came from editorial that they didn't want to upset Todd? Or do you think that Marvel just would rather not acknowledge McFarlane in the Hulk? I don't know. I I don't, well, I mean, really the Hulk Wolverine issue is a famous issue, but I mean, unless they were going to straight up use Wolverine in this issue and they didn't, I don't think there'd be any reason to really reference it. No. Well, there was no need to reference it in there, but the different artists they were calling out, like Bennett, and then in a shard of glass, you would see Bennett's Hulk. Yeah. Arthur Adams, and in a shard of glass, you saw Arthur Adams' Hulk. I mean, these are things that you'd overlook if they didn't just randomly catch your eye. The whole sequence is above and beyond. This may be the greatest superhero comic ever published of a standing superhero. This is beyond anything that has come before, And it's put the bar so high for anything that could possibly come after that that it is really beyond daunting. Al Ewing, he's going to have to write this until he dies because I can't possibly imagine Marvel being able to approach anyone else brave enough to follow this run. Oh, there's always some jackass being like, well, here's my version of it. Oh, yes, well, he was good, but yeah. And then we'll be in Hulk limbo for God knows how long. Yeah. The subtleness, the blatant references, the subtle references. When historians look back at our time and say the phrase comic book, this is what they'll mean. (laughs) We lament a lot the shallow, meaningless flavor of the month comics that are churned out repeatedly. Yeah. 
there's a lot of bitching about new warriors coming out. And you told me about them last week and I kept insisting, no, this is going to be a parody book, not having read up on it or anything. And then I watched the interviews and all, and I was like, oh God, they're serious. I can't believe they're serious. And it's not because of the characters or the orientation of the characters. It's because of the blatant, broad stroke, insulting brush that they're doing this with. And, and those characters they introduce have no depth at all. That's they're they're that's, pretty much their their superhero name. And that's all they are. Well, the costume design it all looks like something that was churned out. But we lament all of this, and we lament other things. We've complained about the Justice League and all this, but we do need to recognize and realize that we're in the midst of greatness here, and the name of it is the the Immortal Hulk. My score yeah. is that this is the best thing ever. They just knocked it out of the ballpark with this issue. I've said it before. Are you even a fan of comic books if you're not reading The Immortal Hulk? Probably not. We're going to do a spoiler here for a second. So the leader finally pops up, which which we've known about a while because they've shown him on covers. Someone was talking about the book and said it should have been figured out a long time ago. It should have been figured out a long time ago. And they posted panels from, from Todd McFarlane's Hulk where he would do the leader. And Mm the leader, you know, had mind control. Yep. And when he mind-controlled people, it would be green eyes. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it was necessarily you could tell it was just there for the reader to know or something that or just the, how his powers work. He goes, yes, yes, should have caught it at the first thing because leader control or someone, they had green eyes. It seems obvious now that we've got a reveal, but we were so busy concentrating on other things. Xenu just absolutely kills me, the whole thing and that Hulk smash. Too many words. Hulk has only two words. Yeah. Yeah, this was just great. Time for talking over with. We're just going to go smash them. Yeah. Yeah. Again, my score was the best thing ever. What is your score? Yeah, it's it's fives across the board. This this is a fantastic book on every level. Really. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to love this book. Pick the book up, please. Please, please, please. Go back and start with the first volume of Immortal Hulk and work your way up to it. It's well worth it. This book pays off on every level. Yeah, yeah. So stay safe out there. Think positive thoughts. The comic book industry is going to come back from this, just like we all are. If you get bored, if you get lonely, and a lot of you have been hitting us up, and like I said, we got a lot of the emails, but they were all asking the same thing about Diamond stopping shipping and everything. Well, now we're past that. We're into it. It's uh, It's just where we're at at the moment. So still continue to contact us. Talk to us if you're bored. Let us know. KingdomCast, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com. Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com. KingdomComics, at gmail.com. KingdomCasts and KingdomComics on Facebook and Twitter. Albert and I have our own Facebook pages. We're real easy to find, so hit us up there, too. Uh, The store phone number still works. I've got to set it up to record messages because I don't have it on me constantly, but you can text us there at 205-978-0600 as well. Albert and I both will be back here next week, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> right, Albert? <laughs> I mean, that's not up for me to, for me to decide. You're right. I've decided it for you. You'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Stan. That's Albert. Albert. Final thoughts? I don't know anymore. (laughs) Albert doesn't know anymore, people. Well, tell them. I probably, I don't think I ever knew to start with. (laughs) Me either. Tell them good night, and we'll see y'all next week. Good night. See you next week. 
Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Contrita Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved. Javier Rodriguez.